Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 2-0. And a blast! Way back! Left field and forget about it! My goodness, Nick Castellanos! A long home run to left field down the line. It's a two-run shot, and it is a 3-0 Phillies lead. And it would only get better from there. Thank you, Scott Fransky. Thank you, L.A., for that at the end, which was good punctuation for last night's game. Good morning, everybody, along with Mike Sielski from the Inquirer. I am Glenn Mack. Now, morning, Mike. Good morning, Glenn. It was a great night down at the ball yard yesterday. Nick Castellanos hits the home run. Reese Hoskins hit a home run. Derek Hall hits a home run. Uh, JT Real Muto hits a home run. Who am I leaving out? There were five. Who did I leave out? Who did I leave out? Uh, you said Derek Hall, Castellanos, JT, and uh, uh, Hoskins, right? Hoskins. Hoskins. Yeah. Shame on me. First run on the board. Shame on me. Castellanos heating up, Mike. Um, yeah. Let me give you this. Uh, he is now in his last 10 games, 368 with an OPS of 905. Uh, rumor is that the Phillies are going to sign Jim Salisbury to a contract <laughs> in which he engages in a heated back and forth with Nick Castellanos every morning to keep Castellanos hitting at this level. Hey, Jim can take all the credit. Um, I'm, I would not argue with any of that. Anyway, the Phillies uh, go to a 7-2 win over the uh, really lowly Washington Nationals. Can, can we say that the Nationals are, in your favorite term, tanking? Well, yes, we can say that. And the good news is the Phillies play them a ton of times yes. between now and the end of the year. The Phillies play the Nationals. They play the Marlins. They play the Pirates. The Phillies' schedule looks really easy. And now the Phillies have won nine of the last 11. They are 10 games above five hundred for the first time this season. Uh, interesting. I was looking at the standings. It's a three-way tie now among the Phillies, Milwaukee, and St. Louis Two of those three teams are going to make the playoffs. One of Milwaukee-St. Louis makes it because they will win the division. You liking the chances? I do. Um, the Phillies, if I'm not mistaken, hold the tiebreakers over both of those teams. So combine that with the moves that Dave Dombrowski made at the trade deadline. Combine those two factors with the fact that, as you said, JT Romuto and Nick Castellanos, two guys who you're paying a ton of money to, who had been having below-average seasons are starting to hit. I think you got to feel pretty good about the Phillies' chances here. Liking it a lot. And by the way, they do have nine games left against the Nationals, and that's you know they've won 
16 of the last 18, and that was before Washington dumped everybody. Tonight, Ranger Suarez against that lefty, two lefties tonight, against that Patrick Corbin, who's a decent pitcher, but I like it. All right, let's spend a minute talking about what happened this week because I heard some talk on the station that it wasn't enough. They should have made a big splash. You know, Juan Soto went to San Diego, and (laughs) what did we get? Um, I'll just I'll pitch it to you. I like what they got. Give me your assessment of these deals. I like what they got too. I think Brandon Marsh is the kind of risk that you ought to be taking at the trade deadline, right? A controllable player with potential, uh, the Phillies, and I know this is kind of a common response when asked about a player who is perceived to be underachieving as a hitter. Well, we see something there that we can unlock. Uh, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on Kevin Long, the Phillies hitting coach, to unlock uh, the potential in Marsh's swing. But what he can do is play center field. He can track a ball down. And as anybody who has spent any time watching Odubel Herrera play center field over the last, what, six or seven years, uh, you know how valuable a skill that can be. Um, so in the main, I like that deal. Obviously, Noah Syndergaard is not the Noah Syndergaard who was with the Mets, who was, you know, Throwing yeah, that was a pretty disturbing debut the other night. Yeah. 11 hits in five innings. Yeah. Was, and, and, and some and of those balls were hit right on the nail. They were. And that's what – you don't want 11 hits in five innings, but five innings is what you kind of are hoping for out of Syndergaard. Uh, I will say this. We didn't mention this in the open. It was fun to watch Kyle Gibson pitch. Oh, yeah. Shame. We could, yeah. Last, uh, last night. Excuse me. Normally when a guy has a perfect game through six, we do bring it up. but And he, he did – Looked terrific. He he looked great. His ball had a lot of movement. Uh, just as a as a kind of personal preference thing, it was so nice to be able to watch a major league baseball game where the starting pitcher was relevant for a long time <laughs> during yeah. the game. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing that baseball misses nowadays. But be that as it may, if you can get something close to that out of Kyle Gibson for the rest of the season, you'll take that. Is is he a guy you're going to count on in a short playoff series? Of course not. Not necessarily. But they got to get there first. I also really like the moves. Uh, I'll give you two reasons I really like the moves. One is you got rid of a lot of trash this week. Yes, uh, you, you know did. what? Tra- I, that's that's a nasty way for me to say it. You got rid of a lot of flotsam this week. Is yeah, that, you, that better. You, you got rid of players who weren't helping you win. Right. Thank God, Oduble is out of here. Yeah. He just he was a, a really dumb fundamental player for a lot of years. Um, I was sorry to see D.D. Gregorius kind of go out this way, but he's a spent, he's a shot player. Yes, he is. Maybe and he goes somewhere and, and it picks up again, but it wasn't going to be here. Familia was terrible when he was here. It was an awful signing this year. And Moniak, you know, I know he had a home run his first night. Hey, good luck to you. It wasn't going to happen here. That's what they gave up, and they didn't give up any of those prized prospects. So that's one thing that I was really delighted with. And the other one is this. For the last two, three, four years, the bullpen on this team has just been an anchor. It's been an albatross. It's awful. Bullpen's been doing a lot better this year. Sir Anthony has been pitching really well. Um, Andrew Bellotti, to yeah. me, looks like he's a pitcher. He's a name that nobody ever talks about, but I think he's actually a pitcher. Um, and now Alvarado versus lefties has been very good. And now you added, for the second time, mm-hmm. hopefully with better results, David Robertson. Came in, had a save. Mike, could it be, after all this time, 
that the bullpen is not a weakness, but a strength for the Phillies. I think that's absolutely the case. Um, You know, I think it's interesting. The Robertson move is interesting to me because I think in some people's minds, the default reaction to it is, oh, no, that guy was already here and it didn't go well. And now the Phillies are going back to that. Well, been there, done that. right. Right. But look at David Robertson's career. He has been an excellent relief pitcher throughout his career. It might have just been bad timing and bad luck that he got hurt during his time with the Phillies. And he spoke openly, I I think even before the trade was made, where he said, you know, I wouldn't mind going back to Philadelphia. I feel like I left something there. There's unfinished business there. Uh, I feel like I owe them something. Uh, And I think you're right, Glenn. We talked about this a little bit last week, the idea of, yeah, you can make a big splash and give up those prospects, or you can get a little more creative and think a little differently about how you try to improve the team. And yeah, you get Syndergaard, but in the absence of adding a really another, another real top-flight starter, you bolster a strength. You make a strength stronger. And that's what they did with getting Robertson. As you said, the bullpen's been pretty good. Now it should be even better with Robertson. I really like what they did, and now it's just in the hands of those guys on the, on the roster. Yeah, I feel very good about it. We, we have been here in August before we've been we've been here the last couple of years and they have been in the race but i do think it's different this year first of all for whatever reason this manager's got them together the interim manager rob thompson he could end up the manager of the year as an interim manager has that ever happened before i think maybe jack mckeon did it with the marlins in 03 okay i think he was 78 years old at the time (laughs) something like that yeah okay Uh, he was eating dinner at four o'clock you know three hours before first pitch (laughs) been there (laughs) <laughs> um, but anyway, I I am feeling very optimistic, very good about this team for everything we just mentioned. I think they're going to go to the playoffs, and once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. Uh, this is just me. I think the telling moment, the underrated telling moment of, moment of this season so far to me happened a week ago Friday when Odubel Herrera made that base-running blunder against mm-hmm. the Pirates on Friday night. Now, it ended up not costing the Phillies anything. Uh, they ended up tying the game, going on to win it. But you could see Rob Thompson in that dugout demonstrably frustrated and angry with Odubel Herrera. Talk to him. Talk to him. And within a week, Odubel was out of here, finally. That's a great point. And that, to me, kind of symbolizes where the Phillies are now and maybe why you ought to believe that this is real or at least realer than it was in 2018 or 2019. All right, 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 if you want to talk to Mike or to me. I like that last point you made. That was really good. Okay, want to throw in something else here. Um, we are six days away from the Eagles preseason. You know how it always goes? And you, we might have talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, no, probably not. We weren't doing shows a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I always look so forward to the start of training camp. And then three days into training camp, it's like, no, oh, this is boring. <laughs> when do we get the preseason? <laughs> right? They, they, you're not, we're not learning anything in training camp. We're not seeing anything. 99.9% of the fans don't get to view it at all. So you wait. And when's the preseason? Okay, there's the preseason. Next Friday, it's going to start. Oh, we're going to get to watch everybody. And then the preseason is going to be all those guys who will not be on the team when the season starts. Right. Some, you know, but it's the preseason, like, ugh, when's the season start? Next Friday night, New York Jets here at the link, Philadelphia Eagles. I will ask you, and I will ask our listeners, tell me something realistically 
that you are looking forward to seeing next Friday night? Okay, so two things that I personally am looking forward to seeing. I don't know how much we're going to see of the first team offense. So I think it's 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 easy to say I want to see Jalen Hurts. I'm not sure how much we're going to learn about Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense from these three preseason games. I don't think we're going to see any Jalen Hurts. Uh, Do you? I think we might see a series or two at most. Okay. Um, the the two guys I want to see for different reasons are, number one is N'Kobe Dean, um, mm-hmm. who has not... He's been fine in training camp, but he has not been one of those guys where you say, oh, we've got to get, the Eagles have to get this guy on the field. Mm. He's looked okay, uh, but it's, I want to see what happens when the lights are on and he's actually on the field in game situations because he was so good at Georgia. uh, I just want to see how what I saw from him in college compares to a facsimile of a Sunday in the NFL. The other thing I want to see, and this is kind of the way I'm wired, the other guy I want to see is Jalen Rager. Oh, you stole my guy. Did you? Did yeah, I really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of my two. But yeah, go ahead, you go. J- just because yep. there is so much swirling around him. Yep. Former first round pick, going against the backups throughout camp, has made some plays, has gotten into it with people on Twitter, all of that. I want to see what he does. Is he really any better, or is this all just sound and fury? As my grandfather used to say, I don't know if people still use this this cliche, but my grandfather used to say, Lenny, it's time to fish or cut bait. <laughs> and I say, Grandpa, you don't fish. He said, yeah, well, you know what I mean. Uh, and it is for him. It is. Yeah. And there are guys who are pressing him. Look, he's behind A.J. Brown. He's behind Devonta Smith. He's behind Quez Watkins. He's behind Zach Paschal, right? Yeah. Who's done throwing up now i sure hope oh, so man that guy had food poisoning he like threw up for four days or oh, something oh. okay nonetheless can we move on from yeah. that topic yeah let's do it so it's what him versus john hightower versus yes. greg ward versus whoever you know shows up that we don't know about um he's 50 50 to make the team and he is a former first round draft pick and he has a ton to prove so i agree with you that's a great one and he will get a lot of playing time yeah yeah uh-huh. and okay. i would be hesitant to keep him only because I have an irrational appreciation for Greg Ward. That, you too. N- not that he you should and be. A, not that he should be a number one, two, or three wide receiver. Just that I love his story, and I think the guy knows how to get open, and that's the kind of guy who should have. A and job. he's a good teammate. Yes. Yeah. Merrill loves him. Loves him. <laughs> loves him. Um, I would have no problem with Rager being out of here unless he plays really well, because I don't think his attitude is helping the team. Yeah, I don't think so. Either. And I don't think it ever has. And if you're the fourth, fifth wide receiver, and plus, I don't know how much he's going to play special teams. I need that guy to play special teams. I don't know if he can do that. The other guy that I really want to see, uh, you take Nicobe Dean, which is great. I'm going to take the first round pick. I so much want to see the big boy out Jordan there. Yeah, Davis. Jordan Davis running out there in the middle of the defense, clogging it up, stopping guys, not being moved. You know, it's one of those things where, like, I don't care if he makes tackles. I just want it to be that he's there, they got to change direction, somebody else makes the tackle. I'm really excited about Jordan Davis. When the draft was was occurring, we were broadcasting the draft, right? It, it was me and Ike and Elliot and so on, and we're all looking like, okay, who's falling? Who's getting mm-hmm. picked? What does this mean? And I'm thinking, Jordan Davis, man. I yeah. just want Jordan. And, and he stayed, they stayed there, and they got him. He's almost like it, it's – how can I put this? I'm very intrigued by the possibility of having Jordan Davis be a force on the defensive line and Jordan Mailata continue to be 
a force on the offensive line because they are the two biggest human beings I've ever encountered yeah. in my life. Huge. And it is it is remarkable to stand near them yeah. and understand what incredible athletes they are. I met Jordan Davis at uh, the Maxwell Clubs last year, right? Um Right, the Maxwell Club, the one in, the one over in Jersey. Yeah, yes. it was Maxwell yep. Club. That was it. Uh, where Ray got on her, mm-hmm. right? And, Who? Yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> and um, Jordan Davis was the college defense player of the year. So, you know, I got to meet him when I was with Ray, and I shook his hand, and I'm telling you, it was like shaking hands with a baseball glove. Yeah. His hands were huge. Everything was huge. Love him. I do, too. I'm, I'm really like such a good kid. Yeah, I'm curious to see him, too. He seems a very outgoing guy, uh, kind of guy who, if he lives up to expectations as a first-round pick and becomes a solid to terrific player, becomes, you think, like the next iteration of a Brandon Graham kind of a guy because he has that kind of personality. All right, so we ask you this question. You know what you're going to – you know what you're probably not going to see during um, preseason. The Eagles are not going to play – a lot of their first unit guys. I don't. Jalen Hurts. Did he play at all in the preseason last year? I think he played a series. Or okay. Two. Well, then yeah. that's that's it. So realistically, we ask you, what do you want to see in the preseason? You know what the expectations are. You've been waiting for this. Who and what are you looking to see? Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Pete in Springfield starts us off. Hi there, Pete. Good morning, guys. How you feel? Doing great. Well. First of all, it's been a long time. I, I used to work at the Montgomery um, County Record uh, way back in the day, and uh, I had actually met and worked with Mike Grove back when. Pete, so it's great to hear I, from you. Yes, it's been a long time. Back days of uh, Nick Fierro and uh, and Ira Joseph and all them and uh, Wayne and so forth. So great um, guys, great guys, right? Well, I'm calm. I know I, I I'm not here to defend Odubel. Okay, but I am going to tell you that. They still have a little bit of a weak link. Now, I, I love him as his attitude, and he's obviously he's, he leads the team in home runs. But if you take the home runs away from Kyle Schwarber, he's the biggest bust that you've ever had. Okay. If Kyle you Schwarber, take the home runs away from the the league leading with thirty two now, yes, thirty four, thirty four. Excuse me, on pace for. 45 uh, at least. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. That, that means a lot. You, you understand that on its face, and you seem like a nice guy, and Mike's not going to want to insult you, so I will. On its face, it's a ridiculous statement to say if you take away all those home runs. That's like saying if you take away the 50 touchdown passes that Dan Marino had that year, he did nothing. Yeah, well, guess what? When you have more home runs than you actually have hits, okay? And, you, and you're on pace to become the major league leader ever in strikeouts, okay? And you're leading off and you're hitting 203, okay? Mm. Now, and, and also in the outfield, he's probably worse than Odubel, okay? The well, he's not playing center field. That, the alligator arms, everything that comes to him. He, wow, so this is the, the anti Schwarber uh, agenda uh, here is very so surprising. Out, if the ball, comes, the ball is, is coming, tracking toward him. And, and he knows he can't get it. He just waves his arm at it. Yeah. Alligator arm. Okay. By the way, he's on pace for 51 home runs. There you go. Uh, I, which, I undersold him. Which isn't what? so bad. He's on pace for 100 runs scored, 100 RBIs. Um, and, and he's had like six walks in the last three weeks. Uh, he has 57 walks in 104 games. That puts him on pace for about 80. Not bad. And, and Leads the team in walks. I'm okay. saying, but All right. Hey, listen. We we got your point of view. Um, I think it's ridiculous, but I will admit, 
204 is not what I'm looking to see out of him. And he's a defensive sieve, but we need the defensive part. Yeah, and if every hit he gets travels 425 feet, I think you'll take that. Um, Yeah. You know, look, I think it's, to your point, Glenn, it's kind of like complaining that if you take away the Academy Award winning performances of Robert De Niro, he isn't much of an actor. Yeah, well, I did see Dick Tracy. (laughs) That that would support that point. That's Pacino. That's not Robert De Niro. Oh, he wasn't in that. That's yeah. right. Okay, well, he made a lot of bad movies, too. But He did. Good Good point by you. Okay, so the point I thought he was going to make was he's not a good leadoff hitter. I don't know why he chose to defend Oduble as part of it, because he and Oduble didn't play the same position. It's, it's a whole different thing. They don't have a leadoff hitter, which is problematic. Is there is there looking at the guys they have, is there somebody you would put in the leadoff spot? No. We, we we batted this around last I know. week, I and know. Uh, there really isn't anyone else who fits the bill. Now, I suppose if they are able to fix Brandon Marsh's swing, quote-unquote fix his swing, he would be the kind of guy, maybe, that you could put up there, but he strikes out a lot, uh, He, you know, and you've got a ways to go before you can even think about putting him at the top of the lineup. So in the absence of anyone else... Kyle Schwarber is leading the National League in home runs as a leadoff hitter. Leave him there as a leadoff hitter. Yeah, you get more at-bats that way anyway. Okay, yeah. I agree. All right, so I, I, I would say that uh, maybe he was not in Dick Tracy, but he was in Dirty Grandpa. and uh, That's terrible. That, that was De Niro's worst performance. That's pretty bad. Struggling to come up with yeah. something, but that was the one. That's All a right. good question. Like, What was the last great movie... Robert De Niro was in. Was it The Irishman? Yeah, which wasn't great, but it was good. It was pretty solid. It was a lot long. Of people, yeah, it was that. I think it's still going. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. around the Phillies uh, and uh, whatever whatever your thoughts are on that. And also the preseason. Um, what do you want to see? Eagles play next Friday. It's six days away. You've been waiting for it. going to be 65,000 people there. What are you hoping to see with Mike Seal? Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other 
other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. I'm Glenn Mack now. Along with Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now. By the way, come on up today at 11. It's going to be a, really tr- a real treat. Dan Baker is going to join us. The Phillies honored Dan last night for 50 years as the PA announcer. And um, Mike, you know him. I know him. He's just he's, he's a character and he's a great guy. I have a terrific story about Dan back from when I was a kid. Oh, uh, nice. That should... Uh that I'll bring up with him, and that hopefully I think gets to the heart of who he is. Nice. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have him uh, coming up. Uh, we have a what we're watching with. By the way, a new sounder. Very excited about. Oh yeah. That. Very excited about that. We'll talk about Dick Vermeil getting into the Hall of Fame today. Uh, we will soon get into the Eagles' run versus pass situation. But let's get Mike from Yardley up here first. Good morning, Mike. Hey. Good morning, my, uh, Mike and Glenn. I've never talked to Mike before, but. And I've been gone for a month out west, so I've, I've missed a lot of what's happened in the last month. But I'm going to start off with the Phillies. It's so great to have a team that you can follow, that you can see as being legitimately competitive. Uh, I don't know where the Schwarber hate came from. He's <laughs> the first batter. He's going to get more at-bats than anybody. And if the only thing he does is hit home runs, that's like... Uh, Buddy yeah. Ryan talking about Chris Carter. Yes, exactly. All he does is catch touchdowns. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. The other thing is, is that you know, as good as um, Gibson was last night, you got to figure we've got three outstanding starters and a bunch of guys who might be competing for the third spot as well. You know, they're they're set up to have a really good playoff run if only. Bryce Harper can come back and be. Who's the, who's the the, uh, the third great starter? Who's your given as a great starter? Well, I'm not given as a great starter, but uh, I, I have missed Ranger Suarez for mm-hmm. a month. But when I look at the stats, he looks like he's been unhittable for his last three or four games. You know, he's obviously not as good this season as he was last season, and it was it would be unreasonable to have expected him to be that good. Um, I mean, his ERA was under two. It was insane. Um, But, you know, Glenn and I were talking about this last week. We love a crafty lefty because there are so few of them left in Major League Baseball anymore. And I I believe Suarez gives opposing hitters a look that anymore they don't encounter all that much. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I haven't watched his really good games lately, but, you know, it's – has he given up an earned run in his last three starts? I mean, it's 
pretty remarkable. He's been, he's been excellent. I, I don't count on him, obviously, the way I do with Nolan Wheeler, but I get your point, and he was that good last year. And if he hasn't – listen, if he or Syndergaard or, or – or Gibson, get it together. If if one of those three get it together, and you go into the playoffs with three good starters, you can get by with a mediocre fourth starter. What's your Eagles point? The Eagles point, uh, the guys that I'm interested in watching, is the synergy between Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean. Now, I don't know how many years they played, how many seasons they played at Georgia, but they played together a lot. And they know each other. They know what each one's going to do. And I think that the some of the two parts is greater than whatever, you know, that that adage. I think they could be really, really good and surprisingly good. I, listen, I think it's a great point. Dean was the guy you wanted to see. Davis the guy I want to see. You got the two best players from the best defense in the country who have played together. It will be something to see them when they click. Yeah, I mean, the man I'm trying to replace here, Ray Dittinger, called that Georgia defense the best he had seen in college football in, what, 25 years or something like that. Um, so, yeah, absolutely worth watching. To Mike's previous point, he was correct. Ranger Suarez has not allowed an earned run in any of his last three wow. starts. There you go. All right. Earlier this week, Angelo Cataldi and the morning team went to practice. They interviewed Nick Sirianni, and this conversation took place. There's a story in the Inquirer today saying, ideally, you'd like to run it a little less and throw the ball a little more. I don't know where they got that. No, you don't? Yeah, I never told them no, that. No, you didn't. Because all, all right. my secrets are, yeah. I don't have, okay. I, I'm keeping everything in-house. You're not right? saying anything. I'm not saying it. Why would I say anything, right? Because then the teams that we're going to play are going to know something. Okay, it's a bit of a non-denial denial, as they say. Yes. Uh, the story he's referring to is written by... Do we know this clown? You. Yeah, oh. Uh, <laughs> which was an excellent column, but they really kind of started off with the with the point that running backs are disposable and, you know, they, they aren't um, appreciated as they used to be and maybe they shouldn't be, and you kind of transition from that into... The Eagles were great at running the ball last year. It worked, but clearly their moves in the offseason are designed to go another direction. Yeah, I, I wasn't suggesting in the column that I had spoken to Nick Sirianni and that Nick had told me, we don't want to run the ball more. That was not the point of the column. That conversation never happened. Uh, what I was saying was that the Eagles' overriding philosophy, the way they think about offense— is that they want to throw the ball first and foremost. And that's basically been true since Jeffrey Lurie became the team's owner, and particularly since Howie Roseman has been in charge of player personnel and strategy and all that kind of stuff. Um, And so the point of the column was, as well as the Eagles ran the ball last season, again, they don't really want to play that way. Uh, And if you look at where they've put their money in investing in players and their draft picks and those sorts of things, you can see that they want to throw the ball. You spend a first-round pick on Devontae Smith, you trade for A.J. Brown, you give Dallas Goddard a long contract extension, they want to throw the ball. I have no disagreement with yeah, that. And, and I have no argument with that, and I think that they have the opportunity to have a balanced offense, which would be delightful. It would be great, and it, again, comes down to the quarterback. Um you know, go back to those first seven games of last season. They didn't go into last season saying, you know, we have a great offensive line. We're just going to pound teams to death. They went into last season thinking, we're going to throw the ball. That's what we do, and we're going to see if Jalen Hurts can do it. And through seven games last season, they were 2-5, and five, and Jalen Hurts was not a productive quarterback. And so they changed what they were doing out of necessity. 
it remains to be seen. Why did it work so well? The running game? Yeah. You have a tremendous offensive line. That's exactly right. You have a good variety of running backs uh, in Boston Scott and Miles Sanders and last season Jordan Howard. And I think you'd see, you'll see more of Kenny Gainwell this year. But again, it almost doesn't matter who the running backs are when the line is that good. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I agree with you. And I'm excited to see... I'm excited to see a balance. I'm very excited to see the team. I'm I'm so excited. I'm flustered. Okay, I'm excited for a few things. I'm excited because I somebody think, get Glenn a glass ice water. There you go. I think the defense is going to be that much better with the acquisitions they had, and we'll find out if Jonathan Gannon is a good coach this year. And my inclination is to think he is, and he's going to have guys that he can employ to do various schemes rather than the vanilla they did last year. I'm very excited for the offense because you do come back with the best line in football. We all agree on that, and barring injuries, that's going to stay that way. You have a nice platoon of running backs, depth guys, as you said, guys who bring different skills to it, all of whom are talented. Hey, I like Boston Scott, and I don't even know how much he's going to play, and I think he's very good. You have a top-flight tight end um, and depth at that position. You have... Now, a guy who comes in who's one of the A.J. Brown, one of the top 10 receivers in the league, fair I, to say? I might even put him in the top five. Okay, there you go. And he comes with a second-year guy who is explosive, can run patterns, has speed, and has good hands. And all of that together says this is going to work. Dot, dot, dot. However... Jalen. Hurts. However, and that's what we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. And it's... I know it's discussed every day on every show, and I hate to, to just beat the dead horse, but it is. The whole thing rides on it. And and it's kind of scary if you're an Eagles fan, right? Um, it's interesting if you cover the team and can take a step back from it and say, okay, I want to see what Jalen Hurts is. I want to see what he does uh, off the field, in the intangible things on the field. He does everything right. Uh, and yet we don't know what he's going to be once the spotlight comes on. And again, I've said this in the past, so much of this comes down to the modern NFL and A, the salary cap, because he makes he's costing them less than $2 million under the cap this mm-hmm. year, which is why they were able to make so many of these additions and improvements. And then the modern NFL is about throwing the ball, and mm-hmm. the Eagles believe in that. And so at some point, if you're going to contend with the top teams in the NFC, the Rams and presumably the 49ers, if you know Trey Lance becomes what they think he's going to be, uh, and whoever else, the Packers, you have to be able to move the ball down the field, and your quarterback has to be able to make throws in important situations, and we have not seen that yet from Jalen Hurts. Okay, so you've been to training camp a couple times. Um, I, I'm, I'm reading uh, and hearing different reports from training camps. Uh, you know, the kids had a bad day, threw three interceptions, and I, 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 I read Ruben Frank earlier this week, who's a guy whose opinion I really trust, and he said, hey, it looks actually pretty good. He's had more good days than bad days. Do you have an assessment based on what you've seen? Because I'm always really reluctant off of anything in camp, and even most things in preseason, to make two large adjustments, because that's when you're learning it. That's where you're getting it together. That's where they're trying different things. I have not. I've been to camp two or three times. I the frustrating part about covering the team and analyzing it through looking at Hertz is that we haven't seen anything one way or another that says he is different from what he was last season, mm-hmm. or that has reaffirmed what everybody already thinks of him. 
I'll give you an example of what I mean. I don't know if you saw this on social media yesterday, but there was a report uh, out of Washington about an anecdote at Washington Commander's yeah, practice yes. about Carson Wentz, yes. okay? During a drill, I, I don't know if it was seven on seven or whatever it was, Carson Wentz drops back, he's rolling out, and he's getting chased by a defensive line. Montez Sweat. Montez Sweat. Yeah. And while Sweat is chasing him, Sweat is saying to Wentz, throw it away, throw it away. Throw it, and Wentz doesn't throw it away. Runs out of bounds. Runs out of bounds. Yes. That is the sort of anecdote that is telling. That that lets you know this is who Carson Wentz is. It reaffirms the reality of him as a quarterback. There hasn't been anything yet that I've seen where you look at Jalen Hurts and say, okay, now we know what kind of quarterback he is and is going to be. That just has not happened yet to my eyes in training camp, which is why there's this air of mystery around him heading into September 11th I in Detroit. I agree. I think we don't know. I yeah. think we don't know. And I listen, I appreciate Elliot. Please understand, I'm not knocking Elliot here because he tracks every pass every year, and I admire his diligence in doing it. But if Jalen Hurts is 8 for 15 with a touchdown and interception in a practice in July, I don't know what to make of that. I- I'll say this, Glenn. There was, there was, and again, you're right about focusing too much on one play in practice. There was one play at the most recent practice I was at, where Hertz rolled out in a drill and threw deep, and the pass was batted away. And it was one of those plays where you watch him and you go, yeah, he can run, but when it comes to throwing the football, it, it took a bit for him to get the ball down the field. Where you look at Wentz and the natural athletic gifts that Wentz has, it would have been an easier throw. I'm not suggesting that Carson Wentz is better or that... You know, well, he would have made a smart arm. decision. Nobody's going to argue you that. You can see why talented people become infatuated with a guy like Wentz and why they question whether Hurts can do it. Well, Wentz was the second pick of the draft. Exactly. Hurts. It is 9.46 p.m. Two and two to Harvey Keen. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Okay, that's that's an old clip. And I could have used any clip to set up Vin Scully and our little tribute here to him. But I chose one, and I know it is, oh gosh, it's more than 50 years old. It's Sandy Koufax's perfect game, 1965, I think, against the Cubs. And the reason I did that is because I invite everybody today to go onto YouTube and just Google the ninth inning of that game, which is only about six minutes long because (laughs) Sandy Koufax is going to get everybody out. And the way Vin Scully does that is so poetic, and it, he paints the picture. He doesn't overspeak. Um, he sets the moment, sets the time, and he passed away this week, which is obviously where we're doing it. And, uh, Mike, I, I just want to give us each an opportunity to talk about him a little bit because I think that Vin Scully is the best there ever was. I agree with you, uh, and I would take it in a way kind of a step f- further. I can remember watching game one of the 1988 World Series between the Dodgers and the Oakland Athletics. Now, two years earlier, the Mets win the World Series, and of course you have Scully calling the game for NBC on TV with Joe Garagiola and that iconic call of behind the bag, it gets by through Buckner, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, you know where I watched that game? I watched that game from the Wyndham Franklin Plaza Hotel as I was interviewing to write for the Inquirer. 
Is that right? That's the weekend I came in to yeah to do my job interview with the Inquirer. We we both have uh, interesting Inquirer interview stories. Okay. I was interviewing for my job at the Inquirer as Charlie Manuel was being fired by the Phillies. Oh, the Wawa bag. Yes. Okay. Anyway, go anyway, ahead. So, Vin. Yeah, game one of the 88 World Series, if you remember it, it is Kirk Gibson hitting the home run off of Dennis Eckersley in the bottom of the ninth inning. And to me, that is the most dramatic and memorable TV sports moment in history. I know some people will say hmm. the miracle on ice in 1980 and, mm-hmm. you know, do you believe in miracles? But if you go back and watch that the entirety of that game, and in particular the ninth inning, the way Vince Scully shepherds the viewers through the possibility that Gibson is going to come up and he is injured and the way he takes you through that at bat and the drama just builds and builds and builds. And then when Gibson hits the ball over the fence, he goes quiet for 66 seconds and lets you exist in that moment and then comes back with, in a year which has wow. been so improbable, yeah, yeah, yeah. the impossible has happened. Yeah. And it is the perfect line to capture what was going on with that Dodgers team at that time. I agree with you. I think he's the best there ever was. You know, the resume of everything he did is incredible to read. I mean, he he called most of Jackie Robinson's yes. career, and then he called most of Clayton Kershaw's career. That's how long it spanned. He called the Hank Aaron 715. You mentioned the Gibson thing, 25 World Series. He did football. He called the catch. In 1981, um, he was to me more than anything, kind of, kind of the reminder, the steward of what baseball was at its at its peak. Um, he's the guy who brought you back to to simpler times uh, in a certain way, if that makes any sense. He was a time machine, but he wasn't a guy who got stale. No, and if you read the tributes to him coming out of Los Angeles and the people who knew him well, I think two things stand out, apart from just his excellence as a broadcaster. Number one, and I met him briefly in 2010 when I was covering baseball and was covering a series in Los Angeles. By all accounts, he was a prince of a man. Yeah. Just absolutely I had terrific, same, terrific human being. I met him for 30 seconds. And then the other thing kind of tied delightful. to that mm-hmm. is you hear the word and read the word friend being used a lot to describe the relationship between him and the viewers and the listeners. And of course, when you think of that dynamic locally, you think of Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn. You think of Tom McCarthy on TV now and Scott Fransky on the radio Mm -hmm. now. And that is a dynamic that is very difficult to capture and yet is so essential to broadcasting baseball. When you, uh, and I told everybody, go back and listen to that ninth inning of the Koufax no-hitter. And I'm, I'm telling you, it'll take you, you know, six minutes. But after that, listen to Fransky calling the last out of Halliday's game uh, against the no-hitter in the playoffs against the Reds. Mm-hmm. And Fransky sets it up the same way. And, yeah. and get, sets the moment perfectly. I think Fransky is terrific. The last thing I'll say about him, and it's kind of what we're saying, one of the things I liked about him is he, I mean, he was a wordsmith, he was a poet, he, he could contemporaneously speak, work by himself, and just tell you stories and keep you in the game. There were no hot takes, there were no stupid catchphrases, you know, there was no needless, dip, well, he's by himself, but even with somebody else, there's no like, no, I'm on this side, you're on that side. There was none of that. <laughs> he was just a genuine guy in a great broadcast. Th- there's a moment that you can find on YouTube of him calling a game between the the 
Dodgers and the Giants, and Madison Bumgarner is pitching for the Giants. And Scully tells a story about Bumgarner that is so remarkable, you have to listen to it. I don't want to give it away. Okay. But what's even more remarkable is the way that he is able to weave in the action of the game so seamlessly as he is telling the story, and he ties a bow on it with a moral. It's it's really remarkable, and he's someone who... It's fortunate we're going to be able to listen to him and that we have YouTube and these clips, you know, such as the one you played with him calling the Koufax perfect game because a, a voice like Vince Scully's, a voice like Harry Callis's, they never die. That's great. The best there ever was. Uh, let's talk to, is it Anita or Anitra in Collegeville? Hello? Yes, it's Anitra. Hey, Anitra. Yeah, we got you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Hi, Anitra. So, hi. So, um, just a couple of things. Um, as far as I heard you guys talk about Jalen in practice, mm-hmm. and um, what I think Eagles fans should love in, in every practice, every year, is that the quarterback doesn't look good all the time. And I know that may sound crazy, but if he looks good all the time, I mean, think about it. I would be extremely worried about our defense. <laughs> That's a good way to look at so, it. So it's it's really it really should be in my eyes at least 50-50. He should the offense should look great, the defense should look great. So those picks. I hear you, but let me ask that, you a question. And uh, I and I understand neither Mike or I are among those who are panicking about this. But <laughs> who is the single most important player on the Eagles this year in Etra? Obviously, the quarterback. Yeah, so you it's are, just that it's just that if he's getting picked off, I want to see a, a defensive player. I want to see a cornerback. I want to see someone, um, you know, pick off his his ball. Yeah, I gotcha. at least at least at least once or twice. Because if if the offense looks totally polished, everything looks kosher. Yeah, then you're worried about great. the defense. What do you have on? I am what do you, what do you have on Dick Vermeil? As far as Dick Vermeil, um, didn't he, he he the Eagles to the Super Bowl in, in 1980, right? Correct. So it's 2022. I was shocked when they said that he was inducted in the Hall of Fame um, because I just knew he was already. Like, why did it take so long? Do you, do you guys know the date? Yeah, I didn't sure. hear anybody. No, we'll you know, we'll, ex- we'll explain it to you. Sure. Um, well, one of the things kind of working against him, uh, Anitra, was that. If you look at his overall coaching record, it's very good, but it's not spectacular. Uh, And there are reasons for that. Uh, He took over teams that were terrible when he got there, and by their third season, he made them terrific. In fact, that was kind of the big factual point that eventually got him into the hall. You couldn't just look at his overall coaching record and say, this was an incredible coach. You had to dig a little deeper and understand how bad the Eagles were when he got there and how good he made them. Same thing with the St. Louis Rams or the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that that goes a long way to explaining why it took Vermeil so long to get there. And not a lot of coaches get in. Right. It's tough for coaches to get in. It's the, I think the voters have gotten more conscious of it in recent years and kind of separated it out and mm-hmm. do it better, but it's difficult for coaches again. You did a terrific piece on Vermeil this week. It was on the front page of the Inquirer. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I should Thanks. tell people they should go and read it. And we'll talk about Dick uh, when we, certainly when we talk to Dan Baker, we'll talk uh, a little bit more about Dick. Uh, Robert, Washington Township, you're on with Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now. 
Good morning, guys. How you doing? Hey, hey Weezy, it's me, Bad Love, your favorite poster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm good, sir. Hey, listen, I wanted to talk about real quick, Philly, but I had another thing to add on to that because, uh, Mike, the thing you t- when you were talking about that Gibson uh, home run, I was in California then, and I remember that. Um, and I want to tell you, it was like a backstory to that in a little bit, where when he first got out there, they had a lefty reliever that had been around forever, and they put black inside his cap, like in the first like preseason or spring training, whatever. Mm-hmm. And when Gibson came off and took his cap off and saw that, yes. he was furious. Yes. And he was like, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm not here to play around and have, play games and stuff. I'm here to win a World Series. I think he set the tone early. Yeah, you know, with- that 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 season, Gibson was actually the National League MVP that year, and it wasn't because he had the greatest offensive season of anybody in the league. It was because of what he did intangibly and tangibly to take the Dodgers from kind of a group of also rans to a team that won the World Series. I, you probably don't remember too many of the guys. I remember Mickey Hatcher. He, I mean, he had a really good World you, Series. And you, you would look at that roster and be stunned at that team winning a championship, other than Gibson and Oral Hershiser, who was incredible that year. He's going to say they had some degree of a pitching staff, right? Yeah, they, Tim Belcher was like their number two starter, mm-hmm. um, I think. I knew Gibson because uh, I moved here from, from Detroit, so I knew mm-hmm. him when I wrote for the Detroit Free Press, and he was a young player in mm-hmm. Detroit. I, mean, I was there during the 84 World Series. He oh. hits the dramatic home run off of yep. Goose Gossage. Um, but he was intense. Oh, yeah. And he was, you know, he, he could be... You know who he was? Remember Dave Hollins here? Oh, sure. He was that kind of player. But that team, he was the young guy. So they had the Al Hollins and the Lou Whitakers and the Jack Morrises and the Dan Petries and the Chet Lemons and the veteran players. And so he could kind of be intense without rocking the boat too much. I think by the time he got to L.A., he still had the intensity, but he was more mature. He was more of a leader. Yeah, and uh, kind of, I don't want to say humorless, but... Bringing a sense of urgency, let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, he wasn't team. there to screw around. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 215-592-9494. If you're on hold, stick around. We will get you in the next segment. We invite others to join. But we're going to have the pleasure of talking to Dan Baker, honored last night for 50 years. 50 years, Mike. Remarkable. I saw those pictures of him at the beginning with the like 1970s you know, sport jackets on, <laughs> big wide ties. and What do I have to do to put you in this vehicle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk to him coming up. Mike and Glenn on that. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.